worship the Most High God on this day. Um, the plan is, our, our preaching plan is to, for the next two weeks, we're going to finish out the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew uh, for the next two weeks. And then that, that, third, that third Sunday, we have the privilege to celebrate the, this uh, anniversary in which the Lord uh, wedded our hearts together as congregation and pastor. But then after that, because we, the Lord is, is really moving and we have our Forest Ford initiative, the Lord just he, he, he drew my attention to the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And I think it's important that we see what God's expectations of his church is. Because if we're going to be a church doing the will of God, seeking the will of God, we need to know what his will is, right? And we need to know... What type of church is a, is a church that lasts, that sustains? And it's definitely not a church that seeks to do their own will, but it is a church who exalts and lifts up Jesus. Amen? Amen. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles or on your devices to Matthew, the fifth chapter. And we'll be beginning with verses, uh, we'll be in verses 38 through 42 this morning. Matthew, the fifth chapter, beginning with verse 38. And if you would... In honor of the reading of God's word, please stand. This is the inerrant, infallible, majestic, and glorious word of Christ, word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a two for a two. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and doing of his word. You may be seated. I just want to place a tag upon the text that we, we have before us this morning. The payback has been paid. The payback has been paid. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity to open up your word. Thank you for your word, for how you instruct us in godliness. Now, Father, right now, I ask that you appoint your Holy Spirit, that the fullness of Christ will dwell with us right now, O oh God. Father, I can't preach unless you come. Father, we can't hear unless you come. So, Father, I beg, in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of our disobedience, in spite of our lack of pursuing you, Lord, I ask that you will have mercy and that you will bless us this morning in spite of ourselves and that we would see Jesus. Father, please give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Please give us hearts to receive. And Father, I beg that one will hear your preached word and their heart will be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit and they would come running, asking, what must they do to be saved? We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You know, as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount and, and this Gospel of, of Matthew, 
we, we see that Jesus has been certainly teaching his disciples on a specific subject. And that, that specific subject is what does it mean to be Christian? What does it mean to be Christian? And being Christian, it, it means possessing a certain character. This is why he goes through the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are uh, uh, the merciful. And, and he's walking through and he's saying, this is not per se the, uh, the things, the list of things you need to do in order to be a Christian. But this is how, uh, this, these are the characters and the qualities that flow from you because you are a Christian. So Jesus, he is walking through what does it mean to possess the character of a Christian, but also he's walked through what does it mean to possess the certain impact that only a Christian can have. And he says, let your light so shine before others that they will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's Christian impact. What Jesus is saying is because you, are, you belong to me, because I have filled you with my spirit, and because uh, you are in this world, you are going to uh, walk a certain way. You're going to talk a certain way. You're going to look a certain way. All because I'm living within you. And because I live within you, I'm going to make your life shine. So the, the light is already there. We don't have to go get the light. We don't have to buy batteries. He says, just let it shine. So stop covering up the light that Jesus has given you in order to have impact on this world. And, and what's going to happen when we let our light shine? That they will glorify the Father who is in heaven. You know what that simply means? That worship is going to take place because of your presence in the room. That when you walk in the spot, that, that people will see your life and see your witness, that they're going to say something's different about this person. And that difference is going to not lead them to you. That's what we want. But that difference is going to lead them to worship our fathers in, who are in heaven. This is what Jesus is leading us in the Sermon on the Mount. But, and in this study, we, we've come to a well-known text. This is that text that, that people just kind of use in their everyday language. And, and sometimes they don't even know where it comes from. This language of turn the other cheek. This language of go the extra mile. People don't realize that's, that's Bible right there. So this is a well-known text, but also, beloved, this is a, this is a misapplied text. Because in, in, in our zeal sometimes, we, 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 we miss the context of what Jesus is saying, and people have actually used this text of Scripture to, to, to present for people a position of complete and total pacifism. Uh, a complete and total opposition to war. As heinous as war is, uh, you don't get that position from this text, though. This text is not saying in all things you are to be a pacifist. That's, you won't find that here. In this text, it leads us to move in a, in a, a hard posture of nonviolent resistance, but it, this is not the text that you look to to say you are never to commit any violence at all. This is not the text. And also, this, this text has been used by some to actually say that there should be no governmental authority at all. There should be no police. There should be no army. And, when, and once we get rid of all governmental authority and those who, who are able to inflict some type of control over us, then we will have the nirvana that we need. And they're looking at this text. But, beloved, this is not what this text is about. But when we look at this text, too, it's... it's 
well known, it's been misapplied, but this also is a, a mistrusted text. Because if you like me, when, when you read this text, the first thing that comes to your mind, surely Jesus really doesn't mean what he says right here. We was reading this passage of scripture as our family devotion this week, and, and, the, and the children were reading it, and, and as soon as it said, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Uh, my children's like, what? Somebody hit me. I, that's, that's how we are in our hearts. And we come to this text and we say things like, surely Jesus doesn't mean that. Well, beloved, he, he does have a particular meaning, but I want to take a caveat right quick. And I want us to be careful when you try to explain away the text of Scripture. This, just, this is just a, a, a basic hermeneutic. You know, sometimes there is a deeper meaning and a deeper understanding to what God is saying, and you have to do some studying. When you study a passage of Scripture, it's always good to get the context. Look at the passage before it, look at the passage after it, and uh, try to understand what the entire book is talking about to help you understand the, understand the context of what's going on in the Scriptures. But, beloved, sometimes when Jesus just says something, he just means what he says. And as followers of Christ, you know, sometimes we really got to get over ourselves. And if Jesus said it, we just got to say, okay. So we can come to the text of Scripture, see something like this, and automatically our heart posture is obstinate. We don't want to listen. We don't want to listen to forgive others as you also have been forgiven. We don't want to hear those type of texts that, that actually call us to release and let go of our rights. That's what this text is all about. Because at the heart of this text, at the heart of what Jesus is getting at, he is talking about having a posture of payback. This is that, that vindictive, that angry, that vengeful heart that we have when wrong or harm has been done to us. That's what this is talking about, this payback posture. You know what I'm talking about. All it takes is for somebody to cut us off on the highway, and we have a payback posture. See, I don't know about you, but I haven't always been saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. But even when I have been saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, I, I've done some foolish things to get payback. I remember driving back from college one, one day, and, and uh, I, I was driving, and, and this guy, he just, he just jumps in front of me. He cuts me off, and then we get to the stoplight, and do you know? I honked my horn, and do you know? He had the audacity to give me the finger. Woo! For the next five miles, I was on this bumper. I had a hoodie on too, right? I put my hoodie on, and I was on them. And I could tell I was acting foolish because when I came on side of them, I was like, And he was just sitting there. He wouldn't even look at me. But that payback posture, that, see, that's the posture you get. How dare they cut me off? How, how dare they 
even though, yeah, this drives, this, this really bugs me. How dare they be texting, the, the light is green. You need to be, how, how, how dare they keep me from getting to where I need to be. And then our wheels start spinning and turning. And we think about how we could pay them back. We ride their bumper. We turn on our, our bright lights. We honk at them. And we even get so bold sometimes that we cut them back off. About to cause a whole accident. But beloved, it's, it's that sinful desire for payback that, that Jesus is talking about. It's that sinful desire to get yours. It's that sinful desire to get mine. That's in every single one of us. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, there's always that, that, that little thing in you that, that feels when someone has done you harm that I'm going to get them back. To properly understand this text, we, we mustn't forget the whole background of, of what Jesus is teaching. So Jesus is saying, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him also the other cheek. So, so where's that coming from, Jesus? Well, the background, he just, he's just told us what Christian character looked like. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. He just said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. He just said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. He just said that. So, so that's the context where we come to this text, that when a situation or circumstance happens and we're offended or we're hurt and we're harmed, we always have the propensity. We have that, that, that thing within us that desires payback. But, beloved Christian, you don't have to hit back because someone hits you. Christian, you don't have to look for the win because the victory has already been won. Christian victory is not achieved in the tit-for-tats of life. Christian victory has already been secured in the broken and bloody body of Jesus Christ. Christian victory has already been secured because there is an empty tomb in Jerusalem right now. Victory is already ours. We don't fight from a position of defeat. We fight from the position of victory. We need only walk in it. Beloved, what Jesus is saying to us this morning, he is saying, because Jesus has already laid down his life for you, you have been free to lay down your life for him. Because Jesus has already laid down his life for you, you have been free to lay down your life for him. What does that look like? The payback has already been paid. In verse 38, he, Jesus gets into the text, and he does so by quoting an Old Testament command. And he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is a command given in the civil law to Israel. Now understand, this, this law was given and it had a specific purpose. But I want us to walk through the, the text of Scripture where we find this. First, we find it in Exodus the 21st chapter. Exodus, the 21st chapter. Now, the 20th chapter deals with the moral law. The 21st chapter is dealing with the civil law. In verse 22, 
of the 21st chapter, the scripture reads, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fine as the woman's husband shall impose on him and he shall pay as the judges. You see that? Underline that as the judges determine. We're going to get to that later. But if there is harm, then you shall pay. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Leviticus, the 24th chapter. Leviticus, the 24th chapter, beginning with the 17th verse. It says, whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, that whole concept. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. So we see this this same context, this the same language going on. And then finally, in the, in, in the book of Deuteronomy, the 19th chapter, beginning with the 15th verse, Deuteronomy 19, 15, it says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then watch this, then both parties to the, to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in the office in those days. Hold on to that. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he has meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. And again, verse 21, you shall, your eye shall not pity, it shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand. Foot for foot. What is going on here? What God has laid out, he has laid out a plan that just recourse would take place for any crime. What he's doing, he's, he's making sure that in, in the context of their lives, the punishment fits the crime. So when we hear an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, we're tempted to believe that uh, that, that is something hard and heinous that we should do and, and, and that, that this is some type of brutality. But what God was actually doing, he was protecting the person who was accused of the crime from, from being overpunished for something. For being, uh, so if they had uh, knocked someone down accidentally, instead of, instead of finding them or, or something small, it kept the authorities from taking someone's life for a crime that didn't warrant someone's life. So that's why it gives the parallel. If you took an eye, then you take an eye. If you took a foot, then you take a foot. If you stole someone's ox, then you have to give back an ox. The punishment must fit the crime. 
That's the first reason. But the second reason really is because of us. God wanted just recourse, but he wanted a just nation. And he, he gave this command to restrain retaliation and revenge. God knows our hearts. God knows my heart. Yes, he does. And it's wicked and evil. That's why he gives us commands to change our hearts. And he gave this command because when someone does you wrong, the, the first desire is not only to get them back, but to get them back even more. So God is putting protections and protections in place for his people in order that abuse wouldn't run rampant in Israel. But notice, and here's the key, at no point does any of these commands talk about taking the law into your own hands. The law was to be enacted and adjudicated in the courts of Israel. That's why the text says judges and priests. It was the priests and the judges' uh, responsibility to determine the punishment for the crime. So it wasn't just like individuals running around trying to figure out or, or, or uh, trying, trying to determine what crime, what punishment fits a particular crime. It, this was the judicial system. And God, again, he puts all that in place in order to restrain and to restrict our sinful hearts. You know how we do. Our sinful hearts, uh, whether you, you may have been young or I don't know, some of y'all, yeah, some of y'all, uh, we used to call it playing the dozens or capping on somebody, making a uh, blazing somebody. I don't, know, I don't know what the new lingo is, but when you talk about somebody, you know how you used to do. You, you start talking about your friend, right? And you start talking about, oh, your shoes busted and your tongue hanging out. And then your friend says, oh, both your shoes and look at your shorts. And then uh, it just keeps going back and forth and back and forth. And you're in front of your friends and everybody like, ooh, like, ooh, and they're going back and forth. So, so you got to one-up the next person. And then all of a sudden that person gets to, well, your mama, oh. And you're like. We were just playing at first, but don't nobody talk about my mama. And what happens? A fight occurs. Beloved, that's your sinful heart. And that's my sinful heart. Sin never says enough. Sin always says, give me more. We are always wanting to, to pay back someone greater than how we were harmed. And Jesus is dealing with that posture. He's dealing with that Christian characteristic that, that we, don't, we don't go down that road. But what were the Pharisees spouting? Jesus says, you have heard it was said because the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of the day, had came up with their own rules. And they had perverted God's law. And, and, and namely, they took God's law from being a civil matter to a personal matter. They, they took it, they took this, this retaliation out of the hands of the court of law, and they made it solely a personal matter for people. So now you had individuals running around determining what punishment should fit the crime. But not only did they pervert it in that way, they perverted it also because they, they had a sense that they promoted retaliation and revenge. They promoted that. You shouldn't restrain. You should definitely, you should t definitely pay them back. 
you should give them what they deserve. Or in other words, if they hit you, you hit them back. But I know y'all don't teach people that. Why would the Pharisees do that? Because sin always says you need to take matters into your own hands. How do we know? How do we know this? We know this because the text of Scripture reads to us, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Genesis 3 and 6. How do we know that sin always says take control? Because Adam and Eve determined in their heart that they wanted to be God and they wanted to take control of their own destiny. And when we desire to take control of our own lives, sin says yes. Sin always says you need to take matters into your own hands. You know, and we, and we think, and we have the audacity to believe that we're actually wiser than God, that we know more than God, and that we really know what's best for ourselves, and we try to take our lives under our own control. We try to take our parenting under our own control we try to take our marriage under our own control and our and our jobs under our own control and our health under our own control and we think that we can do what we want to do but that is just a gateway to further sin because when we do that we're saying that we're God but God gives us a better way will you continue to listen to the voice of that forked-tongued serpent? Or will you listen to the voice of Jesus this morning? Because Jesus says in verse 39, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Praise. You know what? That preaches itself. But I say to you. See, Jesus is saying, I'm inserting myself in your situation. But I say to you. Jesus is saying, you, you, you may have heard it differently, but I'm going to give you the truth. Not because I just speak the truth, because I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but my Jesus is saying that I'm willing to go where you are and to speak to you where you at. I, it don't matter uh, uh, where you come from. It doesn't matter where you've been. Jesus is saying to all of us today, but I say to you. Jesus has a word for you. It's amazing that God would even speak to us. For God to know what you was doing last week, for God to know where you've been last week, for God to know what you was thinking of, what you were saying on Friday, for God to, to, to know what, what your thoughts were this morning on the way to church because somebody was in your parking space and then you walked in the sanctuary and ain't nobody speak to you and then you looked up and someone was sitting in your chair this morning. God already knows, but yet he says, but I say to you. Beloved, never get past how sinful you are. Never, never think so highly of yourself that you deserve God to speak to you. 
He says, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. What? What, Jesus? Do not resist this, this word resist. It's, it's not so much allow the evil person to do whatever, but this word really means don't, don't set yourself against that person. Don't try, convict, and execute this person in the court of your own heart. What Jesus is calling his disciples to do is to avoid taking up their own lives. Don't take up your own life. Don't, don't, don't be so self-concerned. Don't be so defensive. Don't take up your own life. You know, there's times in life where we just, we just embarrass. Things happen. Sometimes we trip or, you know, when you stumble and you're looking like, did anyone see that? Sometimes you fall, whatever it may be. There, there's times in life where, where we're embarrassed and, and, and the worst thing in those moments is to have somebody laugh at you. Oh, that just burns you up. That just burns you up. And you're ready to go at that person. Jesus is saying, don't take up your life. It don't matter if they've seen you. It don't matter if they laughed at you. Don't take up your own life. Jesus says, my disciples, they don't take up their lives. They lay down their lives. In Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must what? Deny himself. And take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus is saying ultimately in that text that if you want to be one of my followers, you you can't think about yourself. As a matter of fact, you got to die to yourself. Because the crucifixion means certain death. You wasn't going to hang around and maybe you would survive. The crucifixion was certain death. The Christian life is certain death. You will die to yourself in order that Christ may live within you. We may have it for the screen. Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans, the 12th chapter. We see this, this command elaborated on by Paul in his letter to, to the Romans. Romans, the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 17. And he says, what? Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what? To do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's the that's the, that's Bible. Verse 20, to the contrary. <laughs> How many of us do this? To the contrary. Somebody laugh at you because you slipped on some ice. And then you get up and say, you know, it's cold outside. I want me to make you some hot chocolate. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Why? Why? Why are we doing all of this? Why, why are we laying down our lives? For by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Good. This is why we do it. 
You can never overcome evil with evil. You can only overcome evil with good or the Bible righteousness. You'll never win that tit for tat argument. Or by the time you win, there's so many casualties in your family. Ain't nobody talking to one another. You'll never win that tit for tat on the job. By the time that you set your ball straight, you're going to be fired with a pink slip looking for another job. Sometimes as Christians, you have to shut your mouth and take it for the glory of God. Because when you are able to take one for the team, God will use your witness to heat burning coals on the head of the very one who is talking about you. I don't know about you. There's been times in my life, the very people who was talking about me, the very people who was dogging me out, all of a sudden, when it comes time for prayer, they, 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 can you pray for me? Nay, I, I need your help today. Uh, and they're coming to me for help, and I'm able to step in. I didn't step in and say, well, you wasn't asking for help when you was dogging me. Well, you wasn't asking for help when you was talking about I'm able to step in and say, come on, let's pray, and let my God move on your behalf. Because that's the kind of God I serve. We are called to lay down our lives for righteousness sake. This is the Matthew 5, 16 mandate. Let your light shine, Christian. Stop hiding your light. Stop distorting your light. Shine so Jesus will be glorified. Shine so this world will be changed. Shine on your job. Shine in your homes. Shine in the schools. Shine in this community. If you want things to change, stop looking for somebody else to shine. You let your light so shine. Beloved, because of your confidence in Christ, because of the identity that he has given to you, you ain't got to get into every Twitter, Twitter battle online. Did you see what they posted? I'm going to tell them, don't nobody win no arguments on Facebook or Twitter. And you ain't got to add to every conversation like you so smart. Jesus is the one fighting our battles. And he has your reputation in the palm of his hand. Your name. Those who love Jesus, your name is written on the palm of his nail-scarred hands. Your name, your first, last, and middle, your government is written on his hands. He says, we, we sing the song, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world, and he got the little bitty babies in his hands. Beloved, I, I don't know about you. But I don't think there's anywhere better to be than in his hands. Because if Jesus got me, and, and why he got his hand on me, he got his hand on the world. And, and as he has his hands on me, 
He's so powerful. He says, son, it's time for you to shine. Why don't you rise in the east? And it's time for the clouds to move. And it's, it's time for the birds to fly. All the while, he still got me in his hand. And, it, and, and Jesus says that and all that he has given me, all that is are in my hands, can nobody pluck me out? And if can't nobody pluck me out Jesus' hands, it really don't matter what they got to say. So Jesus is laying out that we don't have to have this posture of payback because we belong to him. And then he goes on and he makes application of, of this type of heart posture and he walks through. Let's look at this quickly. He walks through the text in four different ways. First he says, do, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn him other the also. Jesus is talking about the situation, notice he says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek. Most people did everything with their right hand. So what, what Jesus is talking about, he's talking about that back slap. Someone smacks you on the right cheek. So, so th this wasn't necessarily a, a, a blow to bring harm. This was a blow to bring disrespect and humiliation. That's what that blow is. So... So Jesus is talking about a situation where someone is just, just disrespecting you. They don't got no respect for you. They want to humiliate you in front of everyone. And Jesus, and then he wants us to apply this type of, this type of posture to that situation. But then Jesus, he, he goes on and talks about if anyone will sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. What, he, what he's talking about in a court of law, if, if a situation arises and someone took you to court and they're saying they, they, want, your, they want your tunic, that, that, that was, that was the, 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 the garment that was closest to your body. And, and what he's saying that is that if, if someone wants to take your tunic, you actually give them your cloak as well. And, and the significance of the cloak was something that even if someone borrowed it from you, by command and law, they needed to give it back because that's how important it was. So he's saying that is in, in situations where people are exerting their power over you, stand down for the sake of Christ. Then he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, Go with them too. Remember, the, the Jews were under Roman occupation. And the Romans had a, there was a law that if a, if a Roman soldier was trying to move some equipment, he had the very right to conscript someone into service. And, that, and they would say, come, take my stuff a mile. And you had to go a mile. This, this is what we see with, with Simon of Serene, where Jesus is carrying a cross. And it says that Jesus is carrying the cross. He can't carry the cross no more. And then they look to the crowd and they just grab somebody out the crowd and say, carry that. He had to do it. So Jesus is talking about a situation where, where you, you, you had to humble yourself physically. And, 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 and no matter what people saw and, and your pride was crushed, you, you still would go an extra mile. And then Jesus says, if someone begs from you, if they want to borrow from you, that, that to give it to them. Don't, don't withhold from them. Don't refuse them. This is a situation where, where people are, are asking for money. Y'all know how it is. You get that phone call. You see caller ID. You're like, I ain't answering that. You know what they want already before they call. He's saying answer the phone. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah, he said answer the phone. Pick it up. 
and laying out those four scenarios specifically, to lay down your life means to lay down your pride. I got to lay down my pride. I can't be all hard. I can't tell somebody what I ain't going to do. You know how we do. I, well, I show I ain't going, and I ain't going to do, I, I ain't going to work at McDonald's, and I ain't. Your pride is talking about what you ain't going to do. But the text is saying if Jesus is calling you to, then you will. You need to lay down your pride. To lay down your life also means to lay down your power. Your, your power and control over your own life and your own circumstance. Stop trying to run things all the time. Why don't you begin to seek God's will and do what he desires? To lay down your life means to lay down your pride, to lay down your power, but also it means to lay down your privilege. Lay down your titles, your positions. You know how you, you want everyone to see who you are, to, to give you glory. And instead of humbling yourself to serve others, you expect others to serve you. Jesus says, no, lay down your privilege. And he's also saying, lay down your possessions. Because everything that you have is not yours anyway. Every single thing we have is a gift from the Lord. Had the Lord not blessed us, had the Lord not helped us, had had the Lord not given unto us, we would not have in the first place. So we need to start holding our stuff a little looser in order to be a blessing to someone else. Beloved, I just asked the question, Who have you been waiting to get payback with? What broken relationships do you have right now because you are looking for payback? What will it it look like to lay down your life because Jesus has already picked up yours? Jesus wants you to understand that becoming a disciple of his means coming to an end of yourself. In order for us to truly be servants of Christ, we have to die. And we die because Jesus died. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. Beloved, when you die to self, you are raised to walk with Jesus. We lay down our lives because Jesus has already given us his own. So when you lay down your life, you actually receive a better life in return. When you lay down your life, when when you give up yourself, you receive Jesus in return. And beloved, I, I don't know about you, if all thing is working towards Romans 8 and 29, that he is conforming us to the image of his son. And, and, and if all creation is pointing toward the, the supremacy and the kingship of Christ, there is no one else that we should rather look like besides Christ Jesus. 
Beloved, we lay down our lives when we look to Jesus' his death, burial, and resurrection. Look to his life, death, burial, and resurrection today. And when you look to his death, you will live. Look to Jesus to receive salvation by repentance and faith. By confessing, Lord, I have been living for myself and I have been desiring payback. Would you please forgive me and help me live not for my own interest, but for your glory and for your name's sake. I believe you are who you said you are and I believe you have accomplished what you said you have accomplished and that, and that I am in need of salvation and only through you can I be saved. Look to Jesus today. Or maybe you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, then we need to look to Jesus and repent. By the same way, by pressing into the gospel, the fact that we need to confess our sins, to have that genuine relationship, because we do fall and we do fail. Beloved, at the end of the day, in order to have a heart that doesn't need payback, you need a heart that has been filled with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has already laid down his life for you. You have been free to lay down your life for him. The payback has already been paid. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the fact that we no longer bear the burden of embarrassment, shame, hurt, or pain. Because you have laid down your life. And Father, I ask that you would please set someone free from their captivity to sin. Draw them near to you to understand that their sin is separating them from you and that they will spend an eternity in hell because of their own sin. Father, I ask that you would rescue and you would restore right now in the name of Jesus. Continue to bless this worship service. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, we do pray. Amen.